she says to me, you know, hey, my friend said, I don't even know your last name. And she goes, yeah, so what is your last name? And here's what I, exactly how I responded. I said, well, tell your friends uh, that my last name is Pemberton. And one day that's going to be your name too. Welcome to Dottie's house. I'm Arvia Few, the founder of Dottie, and welcome to our podcast. So what is Dottie? Dottie is a community created for young Black people to connect socially and romantically. We are changing the conversation around dating, marriage, and intentionality. We're doing live events, we're matchmaking, and changing the conversation online. And that's why we're doing this podcast. There's so much to share and so many people we can't wait for you to meet in upcoming episodes. Thank you for joining. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you, Arvia. Oh, my gosh. Party people, I want to introduce you to Tanya and Steve Pemberton. They are my dear friends, and they are amazing. Of course, I'm going to say that because they're my friends, but they've been married for 26 years. Um, Tanya is now a stay-at-home mom, but she's also a yoga instructor. But for many years, she worked in education. She's got her master's in education, went to Rutgers, and then did pharmaceutical sales and a variety of things. She became a stay-at-home mom when her children were in elementary school, when they moved to Chicago. We'll get into that. Steve went to Boston College. He got his undergrad and his master's from Boston College. He's had a variety of roles in um, HR. He's also worked in the admissions office. Uh, his last corporate job or corporate role was yeah. work human as chief human resource officer. <laughs> but more importantly, you guys, he is the best-selling author uh, and he's got two amazing books. You've got to read them. One is called A Chance in the World and the other one is called The Lighthouse Effect. And we may get into this during the podcast, but and they've got three amazing children, but I did want to share this with you. So let's just get into it because I know you guys are very eager to hear their story. I love the story about how you guys met. Uh, I don't know which one of you guys want to tell it, but it's a good one. <laughs> well, you know, like most stories of meeting, there's two versions. I was going to say, so you want his version. We'll start with her version, version. <laughs> and then I'll come in and fill in. It was the summer of '95, the first time we met on Martha's Vineyard. And it's a little scandalous. <laughs> uh, so Party people, did you hear that? It's a little scandalous. Oh, it's so funny. Well, we met the summer of 95 and we met briefly on Circuit Ave. Um, I remember uh, it, the song was Mary J. Blige and Method Man. And my girlfriend, remember that song? Yeah. Remember the, I forget the name of it, but my girlfriend was singing the Method Man part. And one of Steve's friends says, oh, that's a good girl right there. And um, so there was a group of girls and a group of guys. And we just started talking. And Steve was, was next to me, but I was engaged. And so his friend was trying to get his attention. And he was going, pointing to, you know, my ring, ring finger and going like this to tell Steve to cut it off. And so I laughed and I said to Steve, I said, your friend is trying to tell you that I'm engaged, you know. And I said, but it's so nice to meet you. And that's all I said. And I walked away from him 
when I said to my girlfriends, I said, you know, we've been coming up here for years. I've never met anyone. And doesn't it figure, you know, now that I'm engaged, I meet this great guy. And and that was it. That was the summer of 95. So summer of 95, you meet Steve. You think he's great on Circuit Avenue, but you're engaged. Nothing happened then. Nothing happened. No, no, nothing happened. I left, but I knew I had been engaged for two years and I had not planned the wedding. So it was one of those things where you date for a long time. You think you should get married, you know, because he's asking. You think it's the next thing to do. I was young. I was 24, I think, 24, 25. And, um, and so that summer, I ended up breaking off the engagement because I just knew it wasn't right. I was like, I could marry him, right? He's got the right resume. But something in my heart was like, this is not right, you know. So thank God I followed my gut. And fast forward, summer of 96, we're in the vineyard again. And uh, there used to be a club out by the airport called Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And so we were there and my girlfriend noticed him and said, T, I want to go meet that guy over there. And I turned around and it was him. And I was like, oh my God. And I said, Sean, I know that guy. And she's like, oh, well, I'm going over to talk to him. You know, she's like, he's fine. I'm going to talk to him. And I was like, wait, before you go over and work your magic on him, I'm like, let me just go see if he remembers. And um, so I went over to, you know, to say hi. And I was literally staring a hole through him because I was so shocked that it was him. And, um, and I said, I know you. And he, this one goes, oh, you do. Like, like that's why there's two versions because we'll get to mine here in a little bit i'm sure and so i was like oh so i looked at him and in my mind i was like oh okay so you're one of those guys so i I backed up and i was like oh maybe i'm mistaken and i turned around and walked away because i was just like oh you were gone but but party people you need to hear this it was a year later it was you were in a club they had only met briefly on circuit avenue but there's the other the other thing that i think that's really important in the story Tanya walked up to Steve and said, hello, and said, do you remember me? And one of the things that you guys aren't doing these days, connecting in person, having the confidence to walk up to someone and say hello. Mm. I really want you guys to start doing that because it builds resilience. Because yes, Tanya, he didn't respond the way you wanted him to initially, but were you devastated? or I was crushed. I was crushed, but I had to like, you know, I had my game face on. So I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, you know what? I must be mistaken. And I just turned around and walked away and I didn't get it, but two steps before he grabbed my hand. <laughs> so here, here's a slightly different version, right? Cause there's always two versions to this. I, I do that first time in summer of 95, we talked for only five minutes. And as uh, she walked away, I remember literally saying to myself, the man marrying her is really lucky. And I didn't think anything more of it. She went her way. I went mine. And um, a year later, we're in the same place. And I do notice somebody staring at me. And she's so beautiful, it's throwing me off. So every time I kind of glance in that direction, she was, and I could, and then she starts walking over to me. Shocked that it was him because I was like, I mean, yeah. I actually, I told my mom about him when I had met him the year before, and yeah. and I, but we didn't ever exchange numbers. And I remember my mom saying in the fall, "Why don't you call that guy that you met in the vineyard?" She was like, "You said he worked at Boston College," and I said, "Mom, I'm 
I'm not calling him. I'm like, well, I'll look like a stalker. I'm not doing that. So I was so shocked to see him uh, in the venue the next year. But when she comes up to me a year later and she says, I know you. So here's, here's exactly how I was thinking. I was so thrown off that I'm like, how does somebody this beautiful know me and I don't know her? Because she leaves an impression and she always has. She's not somebody you forget. And it was true then and it's true now. So that's what I was thinking. I'm like, how in the world does somebody this beautiful know me and I don't know her? And so, but here's where I messed up. I'm so taken aback that I'm like, you do? But it doesn't come across that way. It comes across like, oh, you do, huh? Like everybody knows me. And, More and that's, like Rico Suave. Like, yeah, yeah, which is know, not my right? personality like, at uh, all. Next. So, yeah. fellas, so what happened, I fumbled a little bit. I fumbled a little bit. All right, that's okay. You fumble too. But, 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 but check out the recovery now. I hope you're taking notes. You need to take notes. This is, let me, oh, they, I don't think they read it. So, listen, so I'm thinking, man, you got to remember, like, think, think, think. And now I'm saying think as she's walking away, she's walking away. And I also know she is, she's pissed as she's walking away. And I'm like, think, man, think. And I'm like, this is the woman that I met for five minutes the last summer. That's who this is. So I walk up to her and I, I touched her lightly and she whipped around and she gave me that look like. Mm. <laughs> so and here's what I did. I said, I immediately put my hands up. I was like, I said, my fault. I, I said, I remember you now. We met last summer on Circuit Avenue Oak Bluffs. We talked for five minutes. You're from New Jersey. Your name is Tanya, but your friends called you T. When we were meeting you, your hair was pulled back, which is why I didn't remember you. You had on a light blue parker and yellow shorts, and you were standing to my right when we were talking. And when you walked away, you walked away to my right. So, he does have an incredible memory. He does. And the, when the first thing, so attractive. Isn't that funny? And he did say when he grabbed my hand, he said, did you get married? And I was like, you do remember. And that's yeah. when he went through everything. He's Great. like, you Greatest had your recovery ever. Back. I'm just you saying. I'm just saying. On, you know. She did something really important, though. And this is as okay. much to, uh, well, it's both men and women. When, when she says to me, she's right before she walks away because she's upset. Not, I mean, not you visibly angry. Upset, no, 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 right? not visibly yeah. angry. But she was like, oh, you're one of them guys. And but what she, she did something really important. It was very subtle, but she lightly touches me on the forearm and she says, I must be mistaken. And she walked away. And what she was doing in that moment was establishing the line of dignity and respect. And now that was not how I was feeling her at all, but she thought it was. And so she said, hey, no, this is a, there's a respect line here, right? And it was a subtle thing to say, I must be mistaken, but it was really saying, I'm, I'm not. So yes, I am, I am approaching you and I am coming up to you, but I, I'm, I'm doing so in a way that don't think I'm coming at you like, you know, I, I don't have any standards, morals, values, that kind of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. To be clear, you didn't say, oh, I can't believe you didn't remember me and start rolling your neck. You were right. like, oh, 
I must be mistaken. Because party people, if she had responded that way, I don't think we'd be talking to them right now. No, hey, but, it, but, but, it, but it got better. <laughs> Believe it or not, it got better. So, so now, you know, you meet the second time and, you know, it's loud bumping music and we can barely hear each other. We said, let's, let's go outside. So we walked outside and um, we were talking and spent a few more minutes that night talking. Now, I realize uh, at this time, a couple of things. Number one, this time around, I'm the one who's engaged. Oh, my gosh. I know. It was so scandalous. Yeah. <laughs> he was I can't realize it. No, I, this is the first time I've heard this part. Oh, yes. I can't believe yeah. we never told you no, that. No, I did not know yeah. this. Girl, yeah. it, was, it was something. So yes. she was engaged the first summer, and now I'm engaged the second summer. However... Here's here's what I'm thinking, and and it was, it was it was quasi panic in that moment because, you know, I can say this comfortably, confidently, you know, all these years later, I know immediately she's the one. Now I'm engaged to somebody else, but I know she's the one, and it, because one, I remembered her from a year before, five minute conversation, right? Uh, but now I'm engaged. Now I can't tell her that. I can't tell her that, right? The rest of the time, though, she's on the vineyard. I'm like, so where are you going to be tomorrow? She's like, I'm going to be on the beach. I was at the beach. When we were on the beach, uh, I said, well, where are you guys going for dinner? Because she was with all of her girlfriends from New Jersey. It said, oh, you know, we're going over. Uh, we're to, going to Lola's. Going to we're Lola's. Yeah. So I showed up at Lola's. You sure did. Showed up. There was like, Aria, there was like eight <laughs> women sitting around the table, and I pulled up a chair like, up. boom, how y'all we doing? Like, what is he doing? <laughs> Bad. But see, you go after it. She, she was the <laughs> yes, one. Right. I mean, I, I, I knew she was. I, I knew like she was the one. And and, you know, there was a prevailing I thought that I, I had at the same time, which is, OK, now at minimum, I know that I really like the determination she had made a year prior. Yes, I'm engaged with this and that, you know, a person can be a good person. Like two people can be both good people, but not necessarily good for each other. Right. And so you can't marry somebody because you feel an obligation uh, to them. It's got to be this kind of meshing and, 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 and matching. Um, but here's what happens. Her friends, every time you know, this is a girl's trip and every time they're hanging out, I show up. But I don't really give a damn what they think because I don't know them. And besides, if I think she's the one, I can't let her get away. Right. Can't let her get away. And her friends. <laughs> which we all laugh about now. So we're talking for a period of 24, 24, 36 hours, you know, beach, restaurant. And she says to, and her friends start, they start, they start hating. Oh yeah, this was after two days. Yeah, because every time we go somewhere, Steve is showing up and they're like, listen. Party people, you need to be concerning yourself about blockers because blockers are going to exist. <laughs> Don't even get me started about the blockers. And I'm glad, Steve, that you were able to work through it. Yes, oh, no, no. I, and I was feeling him, right? I, I was enjoying yeah, but, but, but sometimes women can be a little irritated. Well, and we were young. We were in our yeah. mid-20s. Yeah. And so my girlfriend, well, you tell you, so she's giving so, me static because I was like, oh, I hope I see him Her today. girlfriend, and we love her now. I mean, yes. our, our kids call I mean, her auntie, her, you know, yes. so the friendships have, have remained. Uh, but her friends make a very good point to her, actually. Now, I know I'm feeling a certain kind of, you know, like, annoyance from them, but I didn't care. 
And so our friends, but friends made a good point here. They say, you know, you spend all your time talking to that guy and you don't even know his last name. And so she tells me that. She says to me, you know, hey, my friends said, I don't even know your last name. And she goes, yeah, so what is your last name? And here's what I, exactly how I responded. I said, well, tell your friends uh, that my last name is Pemberton. And one day that's going to be your name too. Ooh, game. <laughs> Told y'all y'all weren't ready for this. Y'all are ready. Game. Yeah, I'm just saying, that number one, that's the greatest line in the history of dating. Game. That is game. You know what, young men, you can all utilize this line like tomorrow <laughs> when you meet your person. Well, but, but with a couple of conditions. Yeah, you one, gotta mean it, right? One, you better mean it. Never yeah. see that you're a woman if you don't mean it. Uh, and number two, if it is if it is as effective a line for you uh, as it was for me, I want an invitation to the wedding. <laughs> you know, I want some credit. Why did you feel like you could not tell Tanya you were engaged? And when did you tell her you were engaged? Because that's kind of a little. Uh. I did not tell her like, um, like immediately in that first conversation. Right. But in those conversations, those, the next day, she was telling me that she had ended her engagement. And I started asking her because even before meeting her, I knew this is not the kind of thing that's meant for a lifetime. So I began asking her, I'm like, well, how did you deal with that? You know, how did you end it? Because you know that ending is going to hurt that person. I said, so I'm engaged. And I think that was important because we were, and we were not talking about a relationship between the two of us at all. Now, I can tell you I was feeling something, a real magnetism and a chemistry, but... At the same time, I, I could not, I couldn't betray my own dignity, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to hurt the person that I was engaged to. There was an integrity thing that I had to have. Absolutely. So, so nothing unfolded between us that second time around. What, what did happen, and I knew this, that I had to, I had to end that engagement. Like, because there's no way that somebody should be walking into my life like that and just upsetting it. But I, but I knew Okay, so this is the person, right? It was almost like this nudge of saying, you know, all right. And then I think subsequently, though, what happened, and I, and I didn't know this, and if I didn't know it, she made sure that I knew it. Like, I had to close that relationship before I could even have a conversation with her. Like, there was just no, and, and yeah, it was my own standards of manhood, dignity, decency. But I was the kind of woman she is, that... Like, you know, to be to be blunt about it, this is not the kind of woman that you run games and play games with. So I remember thinking, you got to come to her whole and correct and make sure that you, you everything is tight in your world, that you put an end to this relationship because you know it's not right uh, for the two of you. And then you go, then you go say, OK, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I remember our conversations on the beach and it was because it was a period of a long weekend that we met. It was like, it was the 4th of July weekend. Awesome. And then this time it was 1996. And um, so I, you know, so <coughs> Friday, then he, you know, came to the dinner 
I think I saw him Saturday at the beach and we were talking on the beach and we were just establishing this great friendship. And one of the things that I was falling in love with was that he was just asking so many great questions and detailed questions and really thoughtful. And, and I was comparing him to the other guys that I had dated and I thought, gosh, these are such insightful questions. And he was saying like, well, how did you know you didn't want to get married? Well, what was it? And how did you end that? Because, you know, I know it was hard. And so for the first time I was telling somebody, you oh, know, how difficult it was to crush someone else's heart. But I said to him, I remember saying, you know, I realized that when you marry someone, you have to marry them because it's what you want and not because it's what they want. It's not, mm -hmm. uh, okay, this is next, you know, because we've been dating exactly. for like years. Mm -hmm. um, and so then it was that day. So we had known each other for two days. And then it was that day that he said, or three days. And then he said, I'm engaged. And I was crushed. My, like, I didn't want him to know I was crushed, but I was like, oh my gosh. Like, and I said to him, I was like, well, that's hard. Um, you know, and I said, at minimum, I, I've made a friend, you know, I think we'll be great friends. Um, and I said, you know, if things don't work out, call me, you know, here's my number. And that was it. And then a month later, I went back to Jersey. He went back to Boston. Um, and a month later, he called and said, I'm coming to New York. I'd love to see you. And he said, I'm not engaged anymore. I broke off my engagement. And I was like, well, as long as you're in the free and clear, we're good. You know, so, the rest is history. Yes, that was it. That was oh, it. And how much longer did you guys date before you got married? Oh, we got married quick. Yeah, we so yeah. from from that second time meeting, we, we were married less than a year. Yes, less than a year later. When you know, you know, party people. Yeah. When you know, you know. There's a couple of lessons in this, and and it's not even about being engaged, but it's about the practice of dating, the practice of commitment, the practice of being in a relationship. They were both ready, and they got married within a year of that second meeting because they both knew exactly what they wanted. Mm -hmm. It was very clear that they were each other's person because they had experienced other people and they knew. So I wanna encourage you guys to continue to practice, practice being in relationships, practice being committed to someone. Every single person that you meet, it doesn't have to be, or every single person that you're possibly considering to be in a relationship with, it doesn't have to be, I'm going to only be in a relationship because someone I want to marry. That should not be the criteria. You guys need to practice dating. Don't you guys think oh, our absolutely. young people need to practice dating? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that part of that is, is um, part of practicing dating is understanding where you're aligned and, and, and where you're not. I mean, you're immediately when we began dating, probably within the first, because it was a month later, right? It was at the end of August that I, I came to Jersey. There was something that, I asked her uh, and then she in turn asked me, it was, a, it was a question I think that everybody can ask and they should ask. And it remains a question that we will periodically ask. And I think this question, if you ask it, uh, it can help you understand exactly whether or not there is a true you know, chemistry and connection, but you have to be honest when you answer. You gotta be honest. And the question is, 
what matters to you the most? What matters to you the most? So I asked her, what matters the most to you? And she said, I have to be number one in your life. I have to be number one. Now, she didn't mean like above God. She didn't mean it that way, but I knew exactly what she meant. Like I have to be, and I understood too that, you know, her dad did not put her number one. And so she resolved that she wasn't going to have any man in her life who was not going to be able to do that. Right. And so that's being transparent. Now that can be, you know, there's a certain vulnerability in answering that question, honestly, but that answer cannot be judged. So I can't. And when she says I've got to be number one, I have no say in that. She's telling me what is most important to her, that I have to be number one in her life. Right. And you can receive it the way you want to receive it. But that is her truth. You didn't have to. You didn't have to stay in the relationship. Right. That's her truth. She shared it. And then you could do with it what you wanted. But yes. I think that's so important. And then um, she asked me the same thing. And I said, I do not like anybody trying to control me or dictate my path. And that, too, is a certain kind. And I can come across a certain kind of way. But. I had had a set of life experiences. She had had a set of life experiences that leads you to that answer. And, and I do think that that's periodically something that you have to ask because as you go through different stages in your life, your career and marriage and children, like that's the question that you have to, you know, you, that you do have to ask because they can change. What matters to somebody at 25 can be different than what matters to them at 35. And that could change with their partner and they don't even know it. But again, it can't be whatever that answer is that comes back. You cannot judge that. You can't judge it. And if that person says, well, you know, I want to be in the clubs on Friday night and hanging out. And I know that might seem like, but you can't judge that if that's what he says. You can't judge that because that's what he's saying is important to him. Right. And you know what? Don't ever try to change someone when they tell you what's important to them. They mean it. So please don't try to change people, party people. Believe what you hear and take yep. it for what it's worth. And don't try to change. I mean, don't don't try and change what is important to you. Just to try exactly. and make something work, because ultimately, over time, that gets exposed. And you have to talk about that. You know, you have to talk about that when it comes to dating and how you spend time on the weekends and finances and marriage and children and intimacy. I mean, you gotta, you have to talk about what, what, what those things are. And then you decide, okay, so where do we mesh here? And then when there's conflicts or the potential for conflicts, like over finances, for example, then you know, okay, when we answered that question about what mattered, we weren't on the same page, but that's something we, we know we're gonna have to work at if that's the case. I, I mean, I think being on the page is so important because if you're not, small things over time become big things. Yeah. And if you're not on the same page, then, you know, if you don't set your your course to the same destination, then I remember reading one time that like if you're if you're traveling from L.A. to D.C. and you chart your course but you're one degree off, you're going to end up in Baltimore. But if you're going from LA all the way around the world, you're going to end up in South America. 
So if you have your sights set on this very happy marriage and you're a degree off over 30 years, it's not going to be very happy. So mm. we, you know, we just try and take great that. advice. Great advice. I love that. That's, that's great advice. Let me ask you, how old were you when you got married? 27. And Steve, you were? 30. Hear that party people, 27 and 30. We're not waiting till we're 35 and 40. <laughs> just wanted to share that. It's interesting. I say that because, you know, our, our young people are growing up in a very different time with, mm. you know, the digital age, dating in the digital age. They have online dating apps. One out of two relationships begin online. They've got social media, you know, they've got so much more noise and confusion mm. and they're just not as confident and resilient as we were when we were younger, mm -hmm. when we were navigating the dating landscape. Um, we had to work harder. We were used to being rejected. We were very comfortable going up to men and Steve, you were obviously very comfortable going up to women. We were very comfortable introducing ourselves, saying hello. We had game, all the things. Um, and we're trying to help them relearn some of those skills. Um, and, and I think it's happening. I think it's happening yeah. slowly, but surely. So party people, I don't know if you know this, you probably don't, but Steve Pemberton grew up in the foster care system at three years old. He went through a lot and basically he should not, based on the data, he really shouldn't be here today. A black man growing up in the foster system, he's written two best-selling books and he is a very successful executive in corporate America. He speaks all over the country. Steve, tell us about how you were able to overcome that with Tanya's help. And Tanya, you can chip in too, because you know your story is not. This is this is a one-off, in my opinion. And people mm -hmm. need to, you know, there's a lot we can all learn. Well, what I what I came to learn is I I had inherited this generational cycle of family separation and addiction. So I was orphaned, taken from my mother when I was three, a couple of weeks before Christmas. I never saw her again. Uh, my father was murdered uh, two years after that. But the truth of it is that they were gone from me long before then because they had come into the world as inheritors too. So my father was orphaned. Uh, my grandfather on my mother's side was orphaned. My mother died at 40. My grandmother died at 40, as did her mother before her. So, you know, I was really just, you know, the next cycle up. And believe it or not, things got worse after that because I'm in the foster care system in these dark, violent, very, very difficult homes. And I spend the entirety of my childhood in those homes, kicking, clawing, scratching, fighting, you know, just trying to find why this had happened. And I was also trying to find at the same time, my family, so I'm fighting these two battles. On the one hand, I'm trying to solve the mystery of my identity because I don't know who I am and I don't know who my mother and father are. More importantly, I don't know where they are because, because I was too young to know what had happened to them and nobody will tell me. Uh, and at the same time, I'm trying to fight these families off uh, who are taking me in for money. And they live in these worlds of guile and deceit and manipulation. And so, um, you know, it, 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 there's a certain juncture where it looks like this cycle that I have inherited that is going to continue because how could it not, right? How could it not? Uh, and yet, you know, 
it hasn't. Uh, and I think there's, there's a lot of reasons, you know, for that. One is I was resolved, even as a young boy, that I was going to defeat this family. That was my mission. I was going to defeat them. And the way I defeated them, in my mind, was to be really, really good in the classroom. Uh, so I knew I was smarter than they were, and that helped me. So no matter what labels they tried and throw on me, and God knows they tried everything, worthless, dumb, ugly, something about you isn't right, nobody wants you. I grew up with those messages. Wow. But at the same time, I'm in the classroom and I'm doing so well, I'm winning spelling bees, I'm in the talented and gifted program, uh, and it brings these people into my life who bend the arc of my life. And so they were the lighthouses for me that allowed me to get to college. Um, uh, a woman who brought me books uh, when I was living in, the, in, in, in this one foster home. Um, a high school teacher who takes me in three days after Christmas when I literally got nowhere to go. I'm 16 years old. I had nowhere to go. I've been calling and watch my social worker calling families, you know, all day trying to get somebody to take me in. And, you know, Ari, when something like that happens to you, it sends you a very clear message. You have no place in the world. You know, you haven't done anything wrong. I didn't commit any crime. I didn't do anything, you know, that deserved that. But there I was. But I remember in that moment, vividly remember, especially this time of the year, holidays coming, all that. And my reaction to being in that situation was not pity and it wasn't despair. I remember saying to myself, do whatever you have to, to make sure that this never happens to you again, where your life is dictated to you by, you know, a series of desperate phone calls. And so in my mind, in that moment, I, it was like, I'm never going to let that happen again. And it never has. What I would say to the young men, one, there's some things that they're not your fault, but they're still your responsibility. And I think we get, obviously, I think we get manhood twisted a lot in the society like, you know, bravado and, you know, yelling and screaming and blinging and all of that. And uh, I meet a lot of people who have that definition twisted. Uh, for me, I decided consciously that I was going to be what I never had. So the void of what was lost will always be with me. I'm never going to know what it's like to have a father like the way that people have that person that they even know or even good or bad, you know, it's just a void there. Right. But what healed that, what healed that was, I'm, well, that's what I'm going to be to my children. Right. So I, nobody can bring that to me, but I can bring that to them. It brings me to tears thinking about it. It's just, you're watching you with your children, the two of you guys with the three of your, your kids. It's, it's just so beautiful. And to love and be loved is a beautiful thing. And I know you are loving, loving on them, giving them all that you did not have. So they were healing, you know, but I, but I also think it means, uh, you know, you have to risk because Arvia, I, I remember being, uh, afraid of her, afraid of her. And when I say afraid of her, I don't mean in the way that, you know, most people might think, but, you know, up to that point in your life, you had suffered so much loss. And to put your heart out there like that and to suffer another, the possibility of another loss was very difficult for me. Because up to that point, I was able to say to the people I dated, I don't need you. Because there was some truth to that, right? I had navigated that. But I was like, listen, I don't, I don't need you. 
uh, kind of thing, which is immature thing to say, by the way, at that time. But I could not say that about her. So that fear, though, that a lot of men do do absolutely well, feel let's like talk about this. Let's talk about this. You know, well, to put your heart out there like that and to worry about it being broken is a, you know, is a fear that men do have, but don't often share. Uh, because it's 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 at odds with all the you know the manhood narratives, right? A vulnerability and all those other things. But what's over on the other scale is regret. The party reg- <laughs> people, hold on, Steve. Did you hear that? It's regret. What's on the other end of the scale? If you don't take that chance, we talk about rejection mm-hmm. all the time, and I know it's hard, and we know it hurts. But if you don't take that chance, look at this beautiful marriage that they have. The regret part is, I, I remember saying, yeah, yeah, this is, yeah, this is different. This is risky. This is risky. Like, you know, you just met her, right? This is risky. But I remember the emotion that was greater than, 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 than the fear was, if I don't find out where this can go, I'm going to be 70 years old thinking about her saying, this is the one I let get away because I was not willing to risk. So I think that to live is, is to experience loss and get your heart broken. I mean, that's just, nobody navigates this life without it. But, you know, the love again is a triumph of hope over experience because experiences don't do that. You know, I don't want to go through that again. But when you risk, then you realize, okay, I learned something from that. And it is a triumph, actually. So yeah, there's a certain vulnerability. There's a certain kind of willingness to, uh, to dare, dare it all. I, I have not, you know, I've not regretted uh, a single moment of it. Like never, I knew from everything that I thought in those first five minutes, I'll put it this way. Everything that I thought could be, in the first five minutes. No, actually, that's not right. I got it wrong. Because it's been greater than that. Oh, oh my gosh, Tanya. You know what? <laughs> Y'all are killing me. Are you feeling the love? I am feeling the love. I'm feeling the love. It's coming through over here. They have me in tears. <laughs> Tanya, let's talk about... I want to understand. Now, Steve, you know, obviously grew up very different than you. Coming from foster care. Was that a concern? Like, Great question. So, you know, when I met Steve, and especially for the second time, when I met him the first time in 95, I knew he was special. And like I said, I walked away. I said to my girlfriends, all these years we've been coming here because I've been going to the vineyard since college. And I said, I've never met anyone. And doesn't it figure, you know, now that I'm engaged, I meet this great guy. But we had an exchange numbers. Fast forward the following year, we connect. And I knew by the end of that weekend, at minimum, I made an incredible friend. And I mean, if you asked me, I would I would say to my girlfriends, oh, he's the one. Like that one, he just grabbed my heart and ran with it. And it was, it was everything about him. It was his confidence. It was his awareness. It was his his ability to pay attention to details. I mean, he like, he would knew if I was upset, he would know if I was upset about something before I even voiced it. 
just by the way I stood, he would look at me and he'd say, what, what's bothering you? And I'd say, what do you mean? And he was like, well, I can tell by the way you're standing because your foot is turned to the left and you, and I'm like, you, <laughs> but like he, I'd never met anyone like him. And so on one hand, my heart was just falling, you know, but then he tells me that he's engaged. And so I'm like, okay, well you, you know, handle your business. Um, and when he, came to New Jersey and we started dating, I was madly in love with him. And I remember my girlfriends saying, are you sure about this guy? And I said, I love him. And they said, yeah, but he grew up in foster care. You don't really know, like, what kind of dad is he going to be? What kind of husband is he going to be? you know, you, the guy that I was engaged to was a banker and, you know, he was, you know, on his way to being established. And I, when I, Steve and I were dating, I was a first grade teacher and Steve worked in admissions. Like literally we had two nickels to rub together, you know, and building together, building together, party building together. And, and so my girlfriends were kind of like in my ear, like, girl, come on, like, because they were always looking for like that perfect, perfect resume, like no fault to them. That was like the age that we were in at the time. Um, and I said to them, I said, you know what? We could be in a one room shack. And as long as he's by my side, we're going to be just fine. And that part. that's what I went with. And I, I just knew, oh. I, I knew, you know, I think, what young people need to understand is that there's so much beauty and power in vulnerability in this day and age with, you know, social media and everything is perfect and everything has the filters and everybody's life looks like it's picture perfect. It's not sustainable, right? Like you have to be real. You have to open up your heart and, and trust that when you open it up and share it, it's going to be taken care of and you, you know, your partner will, will do the same thing with you. You know, I, what I try and tell young people, I say to the girls, I'm like, girls, if you're going to share your body, you got to share your heart. Like these young people just jump right into relation or situationships, you know, but then they don't want to tell the guy how they're feeling. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, you've done, you shared everything else. Like, let's switch it around, right? Like open up your heart. So that's protected, right? Exactly. exactly. And then what comes after is even more beautiful. So yeah. So to answer your question, no girl, I went all in and oh my, never beautiful. I, I, there's so much that our audience is, I'm sure learning from this. But another nugget that just came through, and I know I mentioned it a little bit when you said it, but you guys building together. I mean, Jason and I built together too. I mean, he probably made $2,500 more than I did. Uh, you know, we were in we were in our 20s when we met. Um, we weren't, the way we're living and what we have, and I'm sure the same with you guys. Mm -hmm. This was not, we have way more than we ever imagined. Yeah. Our relationship yeah. built on love and respect yes. and support and our values. And um, I think when you have that, you can do anything, the power of partnership. Right. And believing in each other, right? It's all yes. about, like, you know, I can say he is my biggest cheerleader, 
right? And I hope he would say that I'm his biggest cheerleader, you know, I'm whatever it is, whatever, I mean, you know, and we've, it hasn't always been, you know, big bonus checks and houses on the vineyard. It hasn't always been that way. Like it's, it was the one thing I can say about Steve, because we were very different. I was, I was raised in a family. I had a great mom. I had a great dad too. He just, had other priorities, you know, let's say he was, you know, um, but, um, but Steve was always a planner, like, and he approached our marriage that way. He was that time in foster care when he said, I, I never want to be in that situation again, where my fate is at the hands of somebody else. And, um, and so when we got married, I was a teacher, he was in admissions. We didn't have a lot of money, but what was important to him was that we were always saving. And I was like, I was not a saver. I was like, well, I kind of, I want that bag. I want this, I want that. And honestly, our biggest arguments were over money and time because I was always late. And I, uh, isn't that funny? I was always late and I would spend his money. Like we shared our money, but then remember we had those uh, little, our weekly accounts where we could like go get pizza or coffee or whatever. And he was so good because he would always save his. And at the end of the week, if I was out shopping, I would go and I would take out my money and I would be like, oh, well, his money's been doubling up because <laughs> he hasn't been spending it. And I would take his money. Yes. And he would get so mad. No. But those were, those yes. were, those were, I mean, we, you know, it was a struggle. But <laughs> when I say it was a little bit of money, I mean, it was, right, like, it was like, we gave ourselves like, what, an extra $100 a month, a week. And so by the end of the month, he would have $350 and I would have $0 because I was, you know, so I would just take his money. But I love it. It's, it's, well, this is actually a really good point. This was not one of the questions I planned to ask you, but I think this is a really good question for our audience. Relative to money, when you guys were married or newly married, I'm sure I'm, you know, I know where you are probably now. You've been together for so long. Did you have one account? Like, how did that work? Because, you know, these days, there are many young people that want to separate accounts. I was always raised that you don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we shared, Jason and I shared everything from day one. You know, my money is his money. His money is our money. Like you said, you put your little money aside. We've got this extra money to do this, but it was all in one pile. It was all, you know, we had access to everything. How, you know, did you guys do it? Because I think it's interesting that people want to keep everything separate. I I don't think that's, I don't, I don't support that. Yeah, no, we always did it the same way. We always I mean, we weren't, we didn't have a, we were literally, when we first got married, we were living check to check. We would get excited if we could rent Netflix movies on the weekends. We were like, there was no Netflix. You were excited if you could go to Blockbuster or not. Yes. yes. I went to Blockbuster and tried to get a card. They denied me. Okay. So I've been there, done that right out of college. I bought some, I got a credit card or did something in college. To make a long story short, Blockbuster was a treat. Isn't that funny? Oh, sure. It was a yeah, treat. No, we, we, we would apply for credit cards. And they, oh. they, they would write us, they would send us a rejection letter with, with two words, ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so were, you guys put everything together though. Everything was together. Everything, everything was together, together. But I, yeah. I, I think, but on the one hand, I don't think it has anything to do with money. I, I think to me, that was, that that is symbolic. That we are going to ride together here. So having a joint account is symbolic of the relationship. 
and separate accounts is symbolic of the relationship too. Steve said having accounts together, that's symbolic of riding together. I am riding with you for you. We are in this together. Separate accounts sends a different message, which I can't relate to because I don't have a separate account and they don't either. But it's well, yeah, let's right. unpack that a bit more because that means that you can, now you could have two different approaches to managing money. But part of riding together is you're going to you're going to compromise on what that approach is since you have one account. See, to me, a separate account is kind of like an escape hatch Well, you can go yeah. and do what you want to do. But I got my own money. I'm going to do what I want to do. And what I've what I've learned is that over time, that leads to other behaviors that they plant seeds. And to me, it's the wrong kind of seed. Now, if we got to fight it out, we got to because we were not on the same page financially initially. But having those, we, we had no choice but to resolve it because it was coming from the same account. I'm like, girl, I'm saving my money. I turn around for the money I'm saving and it's gone because you buying some shoes. It's like that ain't working no, for me. He was not happy with That ain't me. working for me. So it forces a certain kind of discipline on you. It's about a different thing. And, and then this magnified, right? So I went into corporate America after 10 years in admissions, but one of the things I saw happen in admissions, sitting down with families, and they were begging me to try to do something financially to help them afford a place like Boston College, right? So I would, I'm their advocate, and I would go talk to the financial aid office on their behalf. Financial aid office would hand me their finances and say, Steve, they got a vacation home. They've got trust funds. They've got, it's not our responsibility to fund them. And that had a real effect on me because I said, whoa. Now, as and we were, we didn't have uh, children yet, but I remember thinking, okay, that's got to be our first priority. And it was. So we said, okay, you know, children's education first, so they don't have debt like we did and da, da, da. And then, you know, the other things that we want to do will come a little bit later. So we, you know, we absolutely, you know, abide by that. Well, I think we've got, we've covered a lot. We've, we've covered quite a lot. And I know Tanya, I, I was going to ask you about advice you had for women, which young ladies, which you gave great advice about the importance of being vulnerable. And Steve, you did too. Um, you know, that's something all of our young people are working through because, they're so anxious right now. It's just, yeah. it's, it's a very different world and they're going to get there. They are going to get there. It's a different time. It's a, our yeah. world was so much smaller. Yes. Yeah, we were talking about this earlier and um, it's something that we abide by because I do think it's, it's, it's challenging a lot of the relationships as you rightly point out. Uh, but, but we say in, in our home, uh, we say it about each other, but we say it about, you know, our, uh, the, the five of us. Nobody outside this house is more important than the people inside of it. And we were very conscious to not have other people in our marriage. Not our friends, uh, not our parents or, you know, wh whomever. Like it was going to be us. And we also made it clear that uh, we weren't going to bring problems or challenges to other people and not 
you know, to, to one another. And I say that in the context of social media and other kinds of influences. I think, to be honest, I think that's bringing other people into your relationship. You comparing your relationship to the edited lives on social media is bringing another force into your relationship. And you know nothing about what's unfolding in that, in, in, in that world. And that's part of riding together is saying this is a partnership and we're not going to have other, other people influencing and impacting. And I vividly remember the week after we got married, Arvia, I wake up, it's like three o'clock in the morning, right? This is, we go, come back from the honeymoon, all the, you know, all the blah, blah, blah. And now we're living married life. She has moved from New Jersey to Boston that she hadn't even been to before. Three o'clock in the morning, I wake up and I look over and she's not in bed. I'm like, oh, where, you know, kind of where is she? So I kind of sit up and hear some noise in the house. Going to the kitchen of the apartment, the one bedroom apartment that we're in, and she's at the counter and she's crying. And I'm like, but she get a phone call? But it's like three o'clock in the morning. When she get a phone call or and I mean, and she's not prone to emotion like that. And so I said, Hey, is everything all right? Now I'm thinking, she regrets that we got married so quickly, da 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 da. But I remember what she said. She says, So what do we do now? We had been on this whirlwind romance, married in less than a year, beautiful wedding, and now she's in another part of the country away from her family, and we're living together for the first time, right? What we said was, we're going to build this as we best see fit. And that's what we've continued to do. Yeah, just take it day by day. And, you know, I don't want to divulge too much of your personal business, but when they talk about pinching their pennies together, you know, getting declined for credit cards, you've got a second home, beautiful home on the vineyard. You know, you've got a beautiful home in Lake Forest. You've got three amazing children, two, actually, I guess all three in college, uh, one in grad school and two in college. And who would have ever known that day in the apartment when you woke up at when you were crying, going, you know, where are we going from here? It is all about support, building together, finding the right person, matters of the heart. Believing in one another, you know? Yes, believing in one another. It's not about the shiny things, party people. No. Really take time to get to know people. And it's, it's not about right? Like it's, it's a lot of sacrifice, you know? There's, and Steve was adamant. The one thing that he was adamant about was putting money aside for our kids to fund private education. And I was, we, we disagreed early on because our kids were little and I was like, wait, like I want a bigger house. I want, you know, I want a new car. I need, you know, and he would say, nope, T, we're putting this money aside. Like, trust me, trust me, trust me. And thankfully I did. Like, I'm very glad that he was a planner like that because he just always wanted to make sure that the kids were squared away, you know, and that we were accomplishing our goals. So, and I think that the other thing that I would say is that, you know, marriage is never 50-50. And I think young people might think, oh, here's my half, here's your half. It's never 50-50. It, it's, it's not symmetrical. It's, you know, sometimes it's 70-30, other times it's 30-70, but it is 100% all in. It is a 100% commitment 
And that's what love is. Love is more than just a feeling, right? It's more than just an emotion. Love is a, is a commitment. Everything that you're trying, that you are accomplishing with Dottie in this community, especially in this time of dissonance and discord, where you're presenting, yeah, this, these whole narratives of culture, but also these interactions that transcend things like race and politics is so powerful, is so important. We're not, see, in the final analysis, not just us joining you, but so many others who have joined you, it's really important for young people to see that we're not exceptions. We're actually reflections. We're not exceptions, we're reflections. That's so beautiful. Yes, I mean, we love what you're doing, Arvia. It's, um, we've enjoyed listening and watching yeah. your other oh, yeah. podcasts. Yeah. It's so important for yeah. young people to see, um, you know, just to, to believe in the beauty and the power of love yeah. and what you can accomplish. Thank you so much. The right person yes. behind you. I really think our young people deserve love and we need to help them attain it because it's not as easy today as it was before. No, you're right. I mean, um, I know you got to uh, wrap up here. It is tougher for that generation. It is. They're judged far more harshly than they were, than we were. Uh, they have less uh, runway of error for mistakes because they get, you know, publicized and they get. And so it is, it is, you know, more difficult. But for our generation, me and Tanya and you and Jason and our um you know, we, we love you and we have so much hope for you because you have so many skills and you have uh, so much to offer. Don't navigate the world looking for permission. I'm not convinced necessarily that our generation in particular is really in a position to be lecturing this younger generation about the things that elders sometimes like to lecture you about. I, I I see that in my children. I see it in your children, like a lot to offer. So offer that, offer it. Oh, beautiful. Well, we're just so happy that you guys have taken the time to share your story. It's beautiful. Like I said, it brings me to tears every time. I know it's going to move a lot of people. It's going to be, it's going to change lives. Your story changes lives every day. And now hearing your marriage and how, all of this has played out. It's it's wonderful. And oh, by the way, I did not know how scandalous it was. This is all, <laughs> this is all going to be a very juicy podcast episode. Well, you know, I, we share that to say to these young people, follow your heart. Because yeah. all too often you accept something, you're not happy. If you're not happy with something early on, you're not going to be happy 10 years, 20 years, 30 years later. So Follow your heart and your intuition because it guides you. It, it guides you. You just have to be aware and open to listening to it. Well, what a great way to end. Thank you guys so much. No, you're welcome. Thank you, Arvia. I love you guys. We Thank love you. Love you. Thanks for listening to Dottie's House. We'd love to know your thoughts about today's episode. Join the conversation on Instagram. Follow us at The Dottie Club. And if you're looking for your happily ever after, apply today at thedottyclub.com. Be sure to follow our podcast wherever you listen so you can join us for the next episode.